following message is by a guest speaker at Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Thank you, Steve. Good morning. Um, I have the great privilege of closing out the book of Acts. We've been going through this book even before ICC was planted. We just keep going and going, but thank God we are uh, coming to the end. And um, not that it's been a torturous book, has it? (laughs) But God has been so good to us. And um, just going through the book of Acts, God has been really speaking to to Reggie, myself, Pastor Aaron when he was here and just going through this. And... and, um, as we close it out, I'm praying that God would just open up our hearts and our eyes towards him, not towards me, not towards Dr. Steve or Pastor Reggie or even yourself, but really beholding who God is. This morning as uh, Pastor Reggie was leading us, the time of worship, I, I just was reminded of that moment when God changed my life, when he became so real. He was more than just that Sunday school story. But he spoke into my life. And, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever had this experience when you meet somebody that looks just like you. I've had this, like, multiple times. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm not going to get into it. But, but I've met people that look just like me. They have a similar personality than me. Uh, but, um, but they're not a believer. And so sometimes I'll observe their life and I'll just look at it and I'll just see, this is what my life would have looked like without Jesus. And just as they, they run after these things that they want so badly to please them, running after pleasure after pleasure, and wow, God, you rescued me. You saved me. Do you remember that moment in your life? Do you remember that when God spoke to you and just became so real, when the switch was flipped? You know, for me, I got saved in college, and I've shared that before. And after I got saved, I was like, <laughs> oh, youth group students, forgive me. But I was like on fire for God. I, I just like, you know, I forsook studies in college, and I was like, I'll serve God in any way possible. Don't follow my example. And um, I, I was willing to go to anything. I, I wanted to serve. I was a greeter at my fellowship. I, I, um, I was on the skit team. And I mean, that's really like, for me, that I can't do that anymore, <laughs> but, but I was just so available and willing to be used by God. And I remember my weeks were totally filled up, like Monday was small group, Tuesday prayer meeting, Wednesday large group, Thursday small group hangout, Friday you hang out more, Saturday hang out again, Sunday you have church, you know, I was just like, oh, this is so awesome. And then as I graduated from college and I moved into the working life, I was a single guy. I was working at, uh, serving at Christ Church. And, um, you know, when you're single and you live with mom and dad, mom made food. You know, all you do is show up and, and your favorite food is ready. So I literally just went out and um, I didn't have control over my finances, but I, I, li- I just did ministry and I was just enjoying life and just saying, God, whatever you want to do, do it through me. And doing this urban ministry thing. And I was just like, oh man, this is so awesome. And then I met the love of my life. We got married in 05. We just celebrated nine years. What? I know. The, the old timers are like, dude, nine years? Come on, man. 
But I'm just thankful that God has brought us through. And so nine years, we got married, and we were still doing ministry. And, and I had to slow down a little bit, but I still thought I was single. So I was still going very, you know, frantically. And this is when life changed, when baby number one showed up. And I still try to do all this stuff frantically, frantically, and I realized I have a baby. I, I have a child to care for. And then baby number two came, and, and I started slowing down in the participation of ministry. Now, recently, um, Cynthia and I, we, we sold our home in March. I think I shared that before, and we recently purchased a place five minutes from here. Praise the Lord. And uh, we're not driving 40 minutes anymore. And um, I really went through a deep wrestling. I was really conflicted about it. Because as I shared my quick story, you know, I was growing up and, and I was just so on fire for God. And I thought, man, city ministry, that's it. You know, bury me in the back. I'm not leaving Chicago. 60625, that's my hood. And, you know, things didn't go as I expected or as I planned, but God had a plan. And I, I was so conflicted about looking at a property in the suburbs. I mean, I think for the first three months, I only looked at Chicago, you know? Like, I was only looking at Chicago. And Cindy's like, well, what about the suburbs? I'm like, oh, man, that's like heresy in my house. I don't want to talk about that, you know? And I had to come to grips with the reality, hey, I... I'm about to have a family of four. We're living in a two-bedroom, one-bathroom condo. They will call DCFS on us if we stay here. We need to get out. And I felt, and I'm going to just expose my heart here, I felt like, man, am I just selling out? Am I just giving up? Am I just quitting? I think for me, I had to come to grips with that. That the differing, the changing seasons of life, does that mean that every change of the season you do less and less and, and your faith sort of wanes and before you know it you're just not doing anything? Walking through this passage, we're going through a huge chunk of passage, Acts 27 and 28. But I felt like God was speaking to me and informing me, how do we maintain an active faith through every season of life? Through high school. High schoolers, what's up? College. I don't think we have any college people. They don't set up anything. So I don't think we have college folks. <laughs> with single life, married, without children, married with children, empty nesters. Cynthia and I keep talking about this stage. We're so excited. I, mean, I love my kids. Don't get me wrong. I love them. But I told them when they grow up and they can watch themselves, Cynthia and I are partying every day. <laughs> In every season of life, empty nesters, retirement, how do we maintain that active faith? How do we maintain that active faith through all the seasons of life? Now, like I said before, we're going through a huge chunk of passage. So I am not going to be reading through it. I'm going to be walking us through it. So you're going to have to take your hand in mine and follow me through Acts 27 and 28, and I'm just going to retell the narrative rather than reading it. But Pastor Reggie, as he left off, we saw Paul appealing to Caesar, saying, hey, I want to go see Caesar. I don't want to be put to death. I don't, I've been wrongly in prison, so I want to go to Rome. And so he gets on a boat. They set him up with a centurion. His name is Julius. They set him up, 
and they arrive, they go from Caesarea to Sidon. And in Sidon, there's other fellow believers that are there to care for Paul, encourage him. And I'm going to tell you, this is the last happy moment Paul has until the end of his trip. Because things are about to get crazy. So they go from Sidon, and they're traveling through. And as they get to Myra and Nidus, it's a tough trip. Usually this kind of stuff, it's sort of like a walk in the park, but it is getting pretty tough. And Paul is reading the writing on the wall. They, after they leave Nidus, they get to Fair Havens. And when they get there, it is so difficult that the point in which they get there, it's already October. It's getting cold out. And Paul realizes if we try and get to Rome now, we're not going to make it. It's not going to happen. So he goes to Julius, the Roman centurion. He goes to the pilot of the ship and the owner of the ship. And he says, guys, we're not going to make it. I think we should stop here, you know, wait till the winter, and then head out. But the pilot, the owner of the ship, they're like, this guy does not know what he's talking about. We're going for it. So they go for it. And they enter into, um, they make their trek towards Italy. And on their route, they hit this massive storm. This massive storm they call the Northeaster. And right here, as you can see on the map, they are in the middle of nowhere. I don't know if you guys have ever sailed before, but when you sail, you're in the middle of nowhere. Cynthia and I once went swimming in the middle of Lake Michigan. And, you know, I like Lake Michigan when I'm on the beach and I can touch the ground. We were in the middle where you can touch nothing. You can't even see the bottom. And this is just Lake Michigan. They are in the Adriatic Sea. And I brought this video in because I want you to imagine this, okay? I'm going to show you a short video, one-minute clip, but I want you to imagine yourself on this boat with your spouse, with your children, okay? So I'm going to show this video, but just imagine you are there, okay? Just to get a feel of what they're going through. crazy. I watched that thing five times, and I shook every time. In the middle of the ocean, that is made of steel. These guys are riding a wooden boat, 
And you know how many people are on this boat? 267 people. Imagine 267 people, man, women, children, screaming for their lives. That's frightening. Imagine yourself on that boat. You got your babies in your hands, and you don't, all you can think, I'm not going to make it. We are not going to make it. This kind of storm goes on not one day, not two days, not even three days. We're talking about 14 days of torture. Imagine the seasickness. And it says in the scriptures, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. This was a death mission. We're all going to die. They were throwing off anything that had weight, anything they could get their hands on. They threw it overboard just to make the boat lighter, just for this. Maybe they would make it. But when they haven't seen the sun and the stars, they gave up. Now the Apostle Paul, man, in the middle of this, I'm sure he, when you look at that stuff, and though he's a man of God, he's an apostle of God, he's a human, right? When you look at stuff like that, you're like, I'm not going to make it either. <laughs> I believe God can do it, but I don't know if I'm going to make it either. In the middle of the night, an angel appears. And so as all hope is lost, all 276 people are like, we're going to die. This is it. Paul stands up and he says this. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who said with you. So take heart, men. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. God gave him a word. He was on the brink of death. This entire ship was going to be destroyed. God gave him a word. And he placed all hope and all faith and all trust in that word from God. He was trusting in God's plan for his life. How many of you this morning are going through a storm like that? You have gotten the worst news possible. I had a friend call me this, just this week and he told me my mom's got lymphoma. She's starting chemo this week. And I'm sure some of us here, we have family members, loved ones, maybe even ourselves. We've heard that, the terrible news. Or just we're going through a storm. Things are so challenging, so difficult. And some of us may think, I am not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. How do we keep an act of faith? By placing our trust in him. By placing our trust in him that he's, he's got a plan. God's got a plan, and because he said it, it's going to come to happen. 
placing our hope and trust in his word. What happens next in the story is that after he's told this to everybody, now everybody's on board and they're united. And some of these sailors scurry away to the corner and they, they, they pretend like they're dropping the anchors but they're dropping the lifeboat because they want to get out of there as soon as possible. And as they drop the lifeboat, Paul sees it, and he tells Julius, hey, we're not going to make it unless they stay in the boat. So Julius sends some soldiers over to them, and what happens? They cut the lifeboat. It's either we all get saved, we're all going to die. And that's how it's, they're all in. They're all in and trusting in the Lord. They're all in. And so, wouldn't you know, the next day Paul is saying, hey, we got to eat. No one has eaten for 14 days because of this crazy storm. We need to eat and have strength for God's going to deliver us. So as they eat and they partake, all 267 people are fed. And then after that, they throw the bread overboard. All their hope, all their chips, everything they're banking on, God saving them. It's either God delivers or we got nothing. It's bust. So they place all of their hope and trust in him. And so God delivers them on the island of Malta. And we'll get to that point. But all of us here, we face storms in this life. And when the storms come, it really reveals what our security is. It could be our health. It could be our family. It could be our money. It could be our homes. But there is something else. And so when God goes after that, when the storms hit that, God is really trying to get to the heart of who we are. And he wants us to be all in on him. He wants us to be all in on who he is. A few, a few years ago, I had a friend where um, his son was involved in an accident that caused his son to have a concussion. Now, his son, I knew him since he was five years old, and growing up, he was such an active boy. After the concussion, it was out of nowhere. Some kids were messing around. They threw a ball at his head. The, head, the ball hit his head. His head hit a rock, and he was knocked out. The ambulance came. He recovered, but he, had a, he was unable to walk. And this was so unusual because he, he was so healthy and so strong, and he was just unable to walk anymore. And so when I came in, came over to see him, I saw his son in a walker. This kid was only 12 years old, and he was using a walker to get around, and he couldn't even support himself. And my friend, he's a faithful follower. He loves Christ. And when that storm hit him, you would expect most people to say, you know what, God, you're not in control. Why would you let this happen to my son? I love you. I do all, my whole life is about you. How can you let this happen? But he never uttered any of those words. What he told me was, Eugene, I'm praying for a miracle. I'm asking God to heal my son. But at the same time, I'm ready to take care of my son the rest of my life. He wasn't giving up on God. Neither was God giving up on him. But he was putting it all on God, saying, God, I trust you. 
You've got a plan in this, even though it's not according to what I would have done, but you've got a plan in this. A few years ago, I spoke to him, and through different kinds of medication, through rehab, this boy is on track, cross-country. He is playing junior varsity basketball. Amen? Amen? You can put that on God. And I'm, I mean, God did that. And my friend was giving all glory to God. This is God's doing. It wasn't the doctors. It wasn't the medications. But it was God delivering my son and delivering me. And I want to share with you this morning that an act of faith placed your trust in him. You can put it all on him. You can put your whole life on him. And when everything goes wrong, your worst nightmare comes true, I want to let you know God's got a plan. Amen? It's not how you planned it. It's not even how you expected it. But your trust and your hope can be in him. This morning as I was sharing about just those encounters with God, I want us to even recollect those moments where God has come and delivered us, where he's spoken into our lives. And he became so real, and we knew it was only God that did something like this. We can have an act of faith by placing our trust in him and trusting in his word. Now, they get, they get saved from the boat. And I'm just going to add this in there because I thought this was crazy when I read it. They get saved from the boat, and they're enjoying land. I mean, if you've been on sea like that for 14 days, it must feel so good to walk on solid ground. Amen? It must feel so good just to be able to walk to where you want to go and not be pulverized by waves. And so as they're walking around, Paul, he's getting firewood, and he's just helping just like everybody else. And he throws the firewood into the fire. A viper jumps out. I had to show you what a viper looks like. A viper jumps out and bites him. And all the villagers of Malta are like, oh my gosh, this guy, he's a murderer. Justice is being served. I'm going to watch him swell up and die. Good riddance, that murderer. And they're watching. And they're waiting. You know, it's like these guys are into gore. They're just like, nothing's happening. And so they change their tune and they're like, Okay, my bad. This guy's not a... He's a god. Like, they can't believe that this is happening. This is not an act of Paul. Paul is not the one that did this. But this is an act of God. Even Paul must have been like, seriously? Come on. 14 days on that, and now I get bitten by a viper? Come on. I know for me, I would have been like, oh, man. I thought I was rescued. Well, it was a good run. But God delivers Paul. Act of faith in him. We trust our lives into his hands. Listen to what John Orbrick says about this. He says, we tend to seek a world of comfort. We try to construct manageable lives with some security and predictability to maintain the illusion that we are in control. Then God passes us by and shakes everything up. The call to get out of the boat involves crisis, opportunity, often failure, generally fear, sometimes suffering, always the calling to a task too big for us. There is no other way to grow faith 
and to partner with God. You see, when the storms come, because they will come, I just want to let you know, if you're a follower of Christ, the storms are going to come. Bad things are going to happen. Things that you did not expect are going to happen. But praise God, you have a solid foundation that you can place your hope in the rock. Amen? That when all is lost, nothing is lost. When you feel like every, all hope is lost, no. God will deliver you. God will deliver you. God will deliver you. Place your trust and your hope in him. There's so many different things that we can face. What Ortberg is telling us is that we need this to grow our faith. All of us here, especially me, we love comfort, right? I love air conditioning. I love leather lazy boys. I love high definition TV. I love a house. I love these things. But I'll tell you this, if God took all of it, I still will not be completely lost. Place your hope in him. Let your faith be in him. He's going to bring those storms to get to your heart. Say, am I everything to you? Am I your hope? Am I your treasure? I wanted to share this verse. And today, I mean, I want us to dwell on this and just think about it, have it in the back of our minds. And it's a famous verse, but when you go through the storms, man, you're clinging to this. You cling on to this. Jeremiah 29 and 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. God has a promise for you and for me. He sent his son Jesus to die to demonstrate his love. And your life can have an act of faith by just placing your trust, your hope solely upon him. So after Paul is delivered, and I was saying again, he was on the island of Malta, there's a man named Publius. And Publius welcomed Paul and welcomed these people into his home. And for three days he provided food, shelter, company. And he opened up the door and just said, please come in, whatever you want. You're my guest. Please enjoy your stay here. And like I was saying before, if I had gone through what Paul had gone through, I mean, I would have started the pity party. I would have said, woe is me. My life is terrible. Like, I go, I commit my life to God. And I just go through hardship after hardship. You guys ever do that? Nobody? Okay, just me. I, I mean, I, I play the pity party and say, oh, my life would have been so much better if X, Y, Z. And that's what my heart would have been. And if somebody asked me, do, do you think you'd do some ministry? I'd be like, no. I just did 14 days, man, on the sea. And you want me to do some? No, I need a break. I need, I need time for myself. I got to just take it easy. What does Paul do? Paul finds out Publius' father has a high fever and has dysentery. Now, for those of you who don't know, because I didn't know, dysentery, and I'm just going to let you know, it's sort of gross, but you have high fevers, 
and you have uncontrollable diarrhea. I said it. It's really gross. But just imagine the stench. Because, I mean, if you've got children, you have dealt with this. And I know for my son, when, when he had it, I, I just, in shock and awe of just how crazy that stuff is. And Paul sees that. And he's not turned away like, oh, that's just so gross. But he enters in. And he prays for his father. Prays for Publius' father. And God heals him. And now the father's healed. And what do they do? They start telling their friends, their neighbors, their cousins, brothers, sisters, sisters of brothers, brothers of cousins. And they let the whole island know there's a guy in town. And if he prays for you, he can heal you. And so the entire town shows up to Paul's house. An entire island comes. Not two or three, the entire island. And does Paul say, okay, I've only got a limit for 10 people. The next 10, get it, and then all you guys got to go home. Every person he prays for, and God heals. An act of faith is available. Act of faith through him is available for God to work through. We make ourselves available for God to work through. If you think about the good Samaritan, right, those religious leaders, they just say, oh, you know, he's, uh, he's a Samaritan. I'm just going to, or he's just unclean, and I don't want to deal with him. I'm just going to go live my holy life, and hopefully someone saves him and just walks by, walks by, and it's the Samaritan that stops and says, takes him to a hotel, cleans his wounds, says, whatever this charge this man incurs, I'll pay for it. I'll be back. Take care of him. An act of faith is available. You see, God throughout the book of Acts is working and working and moving and doing amazing things. And today, I believe God is doing the same thing. And he invites you and me to participate in it to make ourselves available, that God could work through us. That God could work through us. One more John Orberg quote. Most people I know love to hear stories and images about power, the powerful God we serve, but here is the problem. That information alone is not efficient enough to create courageous human beings. I can receive much information designed to assure me that God's power is sufficient, but the information alone does not transform the human heart and character. In order for such, an in order for such a transformation to take place, certain actions and experiences are required. People will experience God's power, but they will have to take the first step. This not only involves a mental acknowledgement of God's power, but requires them to take a step of action based on the assumption that God is trustworthy as well. Do you hear what John Ortberg is saying? You can come every Sunday. You can hear every incredible, powerful, life-changing testimony under the sun. And those stories will not change you. But when you take a step towards God and say, Lord, I'm available. I'll do what you want. That is the moment where our faith grows by leaps and bounds. An act of faith is available. Are you available this morning?
God may be laying on some hearts here a call overseas with your family. That may be the call on your life. Maybe for a lot of us here, the call is not overseas, but with your immediate family, your in-laws, your sons, your daughters. Are you available? Are you available to God for God to use you and work through you and believe and put it on God? Say, God, you must do this because I cannot. You must do this because I cannot. I'm going to share a quick story. It's not a story of heroism, but really a story of I'm too busy for this. This week, my mom, she came home early. She never comes home early from work. But my mom came home early from work, and she um, had food poisoning. And she was throwing up, and um, she, her back was hurting, and she was in her room. And I'm just going to keep it real, okay? I came into the room. I said, Mom, are you okay? And she's like almost crying. She's like, it hurts so bad. It hurts so bad. I'm just going to keep it real. I just said, hang in there, Mom. (laughs) I'm going to tell you the next hour, all I could think is, you call yourself a pastor, your mother is suffering. You can't take a minute to pray for your momly hands and just ask God to heal her. What is your problem? And I just felt so guilt-ridden. I was like, what are you doing? So I called her, and I said, well, I didn't call her that day. I, <laughs> I shouldn't have shared that, I guess. No, I called her that minute. No, I called her the next day. I said, Mom, are you okay? She's like, I'm much better. It was food poisoning. I had oysters that were bad. I said, oh, I'm really thankful. And I think all of us, we have these moments where we can be available. But like me, you're just like, <clears throat> I got something to do. Hang in there, Mom. I'm, I'm out of here. <clears throat> but I want to invite you as I feel like God is inviting me to be available. Say, God, I may be going through a storm. I may be going through some really difficult things, but use me, God, to minister to somebody. Use me, Lord. Something that's beyond us. If it were just up to us, we don't need God. But God is calling us to be available for things that only he can do through us. Only that God can do through you, specifically. <clears throat> when I was serving in at Christ Church <clears throat> as a young guy, I was like 20, 21, and I remember before I would head out to church, I would literally be on my knees crying out to God, saying, "God, I have no clue what I'm doing in Albany Park. I have no clue what I'm doing. I have nothing in common with these people." But God, I need you to show up, and I need you to do these things. You can keep an act of faith when you're in a position, and you're available, and you're doing something that's so far beyond. You're like, God, only you can do this. Speaking to that coworker that you know is a bit edgy, but asking God to give you faith in the words to speak to that person in love. Thinking about your child your wayward child, and how to speak words of love, asking God to give you the strength and the faith that God will rescue your child. An act of faith trusts in him, puts everything on God. An act of faith is available. 
saying, Lord, send me. I, I want to be used by you. Use me, Lord. I'll do it. <clears throat> and lastly, an act of faith is to him. It points to him. Now, thank God from Malta, Paul finally arrives in Rome. And he gets to Rome, and he's given his own prison cell, and he's got a guard, but he's able to have friends come and go. And so the first thing Paul wants to do is speak to the Jews in Rome. And if you guys remember, basically every other city that Paul went to, he was harassed by massive crowds. He would start riots in those, well, the riots would begin in those cities because of his presence. And so Paul thought, my reputation obviously is going to precede me. So I'm going to talk to these guys and let them know who I am. So he gets to Rome and he tells them, okay, I am here. I've been unjustly arrested. Um, I'm not against the Jews. I'm a Jew. I'm not trying to sell our people out to Caesar. And all the Roman Jews are looking at him and like, we have no idea who you are. No one sent a note over about you. We, we, we just came because you called us over here. We wanted to get to know you. But we heard that you know something about the way, about Christianity. And we've heard a lot about this. Could you tell it to us? I mean, talk about, in a human perspective, Paul is the Jew of Jews, Pharisee. He knew the law in and out, and it says in the scriptures that he basically said, welcome, let me share a few things. And he unravels the law of Moses. He unravels the prophets, explaining how Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that we've been waiting for. And you would think, in the human perspective, yes, yes, the perfect guy is here to talk to these guys. They confer, the, the Roman Jews, they confer together and they're talking to one another. Some of them are like, I think, I think, he's, on, I think he's right. I think this Jesus guy, he is the Messiah. And the other half of the group is like, no, man, this is, who is this guy? I don't even know who this guy is. I'm not going to listen to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And so the group is split in half. And Paul says this, this verse. It comes originally from Isaiah 16, 9 through 10, but he recites Acts 28, 26 through 28. And he says, and it says this, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with the ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. They turned a deaf ear. They heard everything. They saw all that Paul had to say. And they just said, no, no thank you. If you remember throughout the Gospels, the only cities that Jesus could not do work, his hometown, where they just said, Jesus, we know you. you're the carpenter's son. I know you. I don't believe you can do any of these things. And one of my greatest fears is that we can come in week in and week out and our faith can grow dormant. Oh, I've heard this message before. 
Oh, I know, I know, I mean, I've heard, I know God can do these things. But the way I would describe it is like we have quietly, gently closed the door on God and just said, God, I'm not expecting you to do anything else, and really, I don't want you to do anything else. I'm just good with my life. Please don't interrupt me. And so when we hear the incredible things of God, we're just like, oh, yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, no, I've heard this before, right. Yeah, and we cannot in agreement. But an act of faith will respond, will turn. When we hear these testimonies, when we hear these truths, when God is calling us out this morning, and I pray that God is really speaking to your heart today, not my voice, but the Holy Spirit speaking within you and is calling you to not only trust him, to be available to him, but that your entire life from now until you see the creator is going to be pointing to him. The last scene we see of Paul is this. Luke writes out the book of Acts, and he says this. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You see, when we lack the faith, we close the door on God. God, you can't do anymore. When we say, God, you are able to do this, I believe you can. Use me. We're going to get to check out some stuff that's going to be crazy. We're going to see stuff that's, I'm going to say, you know what, that's God's doing. It's not my doing. Only God could do something like this. But we can't sit on the sidelines. And we can't say, oh, the young people will do it. I believe the young people, they will take care of it. No, from the beginning to the end in this room, they can hear my voice. Last story I want to share is about a man named Bill Chapman. Now, if you ever served at camp with me, you knew this guy. When I first came to camp, Bill was probably in his mid-60s. And he was an older Caucasian man. Him and his wife, Bill and Maude, they worked in the kitchen. And they served urban kids for years. And, you know, urban kids can be pretty rough, as all kids can be, but urban kids can be a little rougher than usual. And these guys, they never complained. They served faithfully, and they just did their thing. And so every summer, I did camp for about nine, ten years, and so every summer, I expected them to be there. One of the last years I was doing camp, one day I was um, just restringing a guitar. I was in the cafeteria, and... Um, the pastor calls on me, Eugene! You know, like when someone screams your name, like the blood curdling kind, you don't even think, you just react. I literally ran out the door and I just wanted to see what? Bill was on the ground. He said, Bill has had a heart attack. We need to get him to a hospital. So, I am in just reaction mode, and if you guys know Brian Ramos, Brian got his car over, we put Bill in the car, and we just took off, and I was holding Bill's hand in the back seat, saying, Bill, hold on, hold on, we're almost there, just hold on, and he was just trying to breathe, his eyes were glazed and just taking little breaths, and I was just, please, just hold on. 
And so we get into the hospital parking lot, the ER. And if you, you guys know me, right? I'm pretty, like, even keel. I don't get too upset. I don't, like, go crazy. This was, like, one of the few times in my life I went, like, crazy. I got out of the car. Get over here. We have someone dying. And the ER guys are like, what is going on? And I said, please save him. Get him into the hospital. They take Bill in. They cart him in. And me and Brian are just like, oh, I, I don't even know what to think. It's just been so crazy. We wait in the waiting room for an hour, and finally a doctor comes out. You know, Bill is a Caucasian man. Brian is Filipino. I'm Korean, and he's coming to me because his, his family's not there. We're the only people there. I just must have thought, man, what does he think is going? This must look so weird. And so he comes out to us. Said, did you guys come with Bill? Did you bring Bill? I said, yeah, we did. He's like, um, Bill suffered a major heart attack, and he's not going to make it called his wife and she's on her way and so if you'd like to see him you can see him before you go so I walked in there and, um, and I just said you know I saw Bill and he still had that glazed look and I just said you know Bill thank you for being so faithful thank you for being so faithful and I told the nurses there and the doctor and she said it's a great man laying there Active faith points to him. And for every person in this room, whether you have kids, you don't have kids, empty nesters, retired, I don't really care what age you are. But I'm telling you that that is the full life, that till the end of your life, you are pointing others towards Jesus. Bill would take urban kids. These are like hardcore gangbangers, sit them down, and he would just tell them, Jesus loves you. He wants to rescue you. Give your life to him. And he would do, I saw him do this for 10 years. And that picture in my mind has really put a mark in my heart. In this life, to have an act of faith, you got to put all your chips on him, on God, trusting in him, being available to see God work through you. And at every step of the way, pointing others towards him. Does that mean you have to preach from here? No. Does that mean you have to do like something crazy? No. Sunday school ministry? I mean, just think about the generations you can impact there. There's so many opportunities where we can point others to him. And I want us, and I want to close out this time. And I want us to ask ourselves this question. God what can you do through my life? God, what can you do through my life? You may have come in here and your aspirations, you've, you've been a churchgoer or whatever, but today God is speaking to you. Young people, my youth group members, I want you to pray that too because it doesn't begin when you turn 20, 21. It begins now. Say, God, I want to be used by you. I want to be your vessel. I want to be your servant. The book of Acts, as we close it out, has showed us that God loves people. He's sending you and me out to be witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He wants us to point to him. See, this is the only way, truth, and the life in this place. 
Let's go to the Lord and pray this morning.